We're going to be in James chapter 5 today. Um, we're skipping ahead in our passage this week to cover a, a text that has to do with patience because uh, the text right before that is pretty brutal and has nothing at all to do with Mother's Day. And Jos- Josiah's going to cover that next week. So we're going to cover the entirety of James. We're just changing the order this week because this fits so well with uh, just a message that I believe that God has not only for our moms, but for all of us. So we're going to look at James 5, verses 7 through 12 today. James 5, 7 to 12. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. James says, Therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthening your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And as, a, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. In the verses that precede our text today, James is literally blasting the rich people for acting wickedly toward the poor. Uh, The rich James argues uh, that he's addressing here, while being prosperous in this life, are going to one day face God's judgment and condemnation because they have exploited the disadvantage. They have uh, manipulated them and withheld wages from them and not paid them what they're worth. And many commentators believe that verse 6, when he says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man, he does not resist you. Uh, James is calling them to not only be patient until the coming of the Lord, but he's, he, he's not talking about literal physical death here as much as he's talking about the, the rich people dragging the poor into court and exploiting them because they can't have proper representation and literally stripping them of everything that they have, causing them uh, to kind of live a life of indebtedness because uh, they're just financially ruined. And it seems like that's exactly what these, these rich did. They're the same ones that James said earlier, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go such and such a place and engage in business. They have all of this independence and means to do whatever they want. And they're taking advantage of the poor. And so James is not calling his Christian brothers and sisters just to a general sense of patience, but specifically he's saying, have patience in the midst of persecution in the midst of your trials and misfortune, because even though you may not have anything on this earth to look forward to, uh, fix your eyes upon the return of Jesus. It's very similar to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, when he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's difficult to be patient for the Lord's return when we struggle so much just to be patient in the little things of life. The everyday small things. I mean, how can we wait for the Lord's return? That seems like an impossible task. As more and more companies today are opting for same-day delivery services, as we have smartphone apps that eliminate the wait for a cab or a date or a table at a nice restaurant with movies and TV shows that begin streaming in seconds. Experts are warning us that all of these luxuries, all of these privileges come at a price, at a cost, and that cost is our patience. We are becoming an increasingly impatient society. We want what we want when we want it. And we have so many different options. It's really difficult to wait for anything anymore, to have delayed gratification rather than immediate gratification. It just goes against the grain. Well, as I said, patience is an obviously applicable uh, topic for Mother's Day, and I think there's something for each one of us. And I believe that James gives us at least three reasons from our text to take courage and have patience. If you're taking out, uh, notes, there's an outline in the bulletin. And the first point is that we're to be patient because God will supply what we need. God promises to supply what we need, so we need to be patient. Verse 7, therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. Just as God provides exactly what the farmer needs for a successful harvest, God knows what we need, and he knows when we need it, and he promises to supply everything that we need. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that God will give us everything we want or everything we set our heart on, but all that we need for life, God promises to supply. It's interesting, as we know very well, farming is very tough work, and the farmer does his part or her part to prepare the soil and plant the seed, but without rain, it's fruitless. It's futile. And so farmers wait patiently for that element that they can't provide. Especially in Palestine, in a, in a dry, hot climate, you're very dependent upon the rain. It's not like you can just water acres and acres of, of vegetation because it, it's, there's so little water. And so, especially in this society, they were dependent upon the early and the late rains. The same is true with us. Maybe... You've worked hard to provide financially for your family. And to have patience means to now put it in God's hands and to rest, to patiently wait upon Him. Maybe you're in a tough season of of having kids, raising kids, and making a lot of sacrifices for your family, and there never seems to be any more time for you anymore. And you wonder at times if your life will ever return to the life that you used to have. And God is saying, wait upon me. Have patience. I see your needs. I will answer you. I know your situation. Maybe you've raised kids and you've raised them to know and love the Lord and be prepared for the world's challenges. And now you need to sit back and have patience that God 
we'll take it from there. And as they leave home, we'll develop them into the men and the women that you want them to be and that he wants them to be. Maybe your kids have left home and now they have careers and families of their own. And maybe you're left wondering, what is my life like now? What, what does God have for me? And God is saying, have patience. I'm never finished. I began a good work in you, and I've promised that I will bring it to completion and fulfillment. Maybe you've suffered the loss of a loved one, and it's difficult to think of life without them. And God says, hang in there. Wait upon me. I will never fail you or forsake you. My presence will never leave you. I promise to sustain you. Scripture calls us to have patience in every season of life. And all of us are going through different situations, different seasons. But patience is universally applicable to every single person here. The farmer does his part to prepare the soil and to plant the seed. And now they wait patiently for what they can't provide. And in the same way, God calls us to wait patiently upon him. The rain in in Israel came, uh, the early rain came in late October, early November, And without it, the seeds would never germinate. The late rain fell in April and May, and without this rain, the the seeds would never come to maturity. And so both were indispensable. Both were very important. Notice in verse 7, James says how long we're to wait. We're to wait until the coming of the Lord. And I like to look at this in two ways. Yes, there's the grand return of the Lord, the second coming, when he physically splits the clouds and the sky and comes for the church, which scripture says we are the bride of Christ. There's that return, but I also believe that God shows up every day. God comes to us every day, sometimes in small, imperceptible ways that often go unnoticed. But God is faithful to always be present and to show up and to reveal himself. And so we are to wait upon him, to look for him, for the things that will find fulfillment in this life and for the things that will never be right again until he comes. In both things, we are to wait for him. Well, secondly, James says that we are to have patience because God will bring about justice and vindication. God will bring about justice and vindication. Verse Uh, 9 and 10, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, the righteous judge, is standing right at the door. God, the righteous judge, is standing right at the door. And he will bring about justice. He promises to bring about vindication. He will right every wrong. And so James says, don't complain, don't argue. Don't try and settle the score yourself. Other places in the New Testament, God says, vengeance is mine. Like you can try and settle it yourself, but I do a much better job. You know, I will repay evil and and I will one day bring about justice. That phrase standing right at the door is really an allusion to Jewish weddings where the best friend of the bridegroom, this sounds crazy and awkward, but he would stand outside the bedroom door. And after the marriage was consummated, he would announce to the wedding party that the the marriage was complete. 
And what was significant about that, although that sounds just like crazy, is that a week of festivities and celebration would ensue at that moment. And so the picture here is that Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, stands right at the door, ready to announce the consummation of his marriage with the church and all the joy and celebration that that entails, but also ready to announce his coming and the fact that he will bring justice and vindication. And so we can take heart in that. When James says to strengthen your hearts, this seems to be kind of an impossible task and an intangible one too, because physically we know how to strengthen our hearts. We know exercise and eating right, and we know the things that we have to do. But what does it mean spiritually to strengthen our hearts? And I like what Paul has to say in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. He writes this. He says, may he, meaning God, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. Paul says, God is the one who strengthens your heart. Our part is to surrender our heart to him, to allow him to have his way and to do his work in our life. I think the the human element, the human responsibility is being firm in our faith. Being firm in our faith is a way that we can strengthen our hearts. And being firm in our faith means to hold fast to God's word, to cling to the things that we know to be true. I was saying in the first service, I I believe it was Corey Ten Boom, who was the author of The Hiding Place, that her experience with her family in the midst of the Holocaust. And she said, never forget when you walk through the valley of death, what God taught you in the light. When you walk through the dark, never forget what God taught you in the light. We're to cling to those truths, the things that we know are things that we can rely upon. Because when we go through trials and and tough times, those will be tested. Those will be challenged. And so we're to affirm those things and, and cling to those things. And James references the prophets at this point because they knew very well what it meant to suffer for nothing, for doing, for faithfully proclaiming the word of God. Often they were put to death or they were persecuted or or just severely beaten. For over 40 years, Moses had to endure a complaining and grumbling people. Jeremiah was put in stocks and thrown into prison and lowered into the miry dungeon of an empty cistern. Daniel was cast into the lion's den. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, sealed his testimony with his own blood and was put to death in the temple. And it goes on and on and on. You read story after story of prophet that was persecuted. And as a kid, I'd read that and like, I'm not going to be a prophet, you know. I don't want that job. (laughs) Do something else, something safer. But James cites and references the prophets because they knew very well what it meant to have patience and to wait upon the Lord in the midst of persecution. Trusting that God will bring justice and vindication. He will not forget anything or anyone. And he promises that he will bring everything into account. Well, finally, in verse 11, God says that we are to have patience because he is setting the stage to display his compassion and mercy. 
God says, I'm setting the stage to display my compassion and mercy. James writes, we count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings with him, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So many commentators and people think that James is lifting up Job as the prime example of patience. And if you read the story of Job, he wasn't really that patient. He, he never like sinned against the Lord and all of his wife, you know, as you recall, gave him the great advice of curse God and die, you know, <laughs> like that's good encouragement. And his friends were telling him what he was doing wrong and he, he was firm in his faith, but he was, he was constantly questioning the Lord and asking why. And God shows up at the end of the book and starts schooling him and telling him. And Job's like, whoa, I misspoke. I'm sorry. But James' point in referencing Job is not to lift up the patience of Job. It's to highlight the Lord's dealings with him. That through it all, God was faithful and God was merciful. And Job ended up with twice as much as he had before Satan rained testing upon him. God was faithful with Job. Wasn't easy, wasn't fun, wasn't something that Job would have wanted to relive, but Job came out blessed, and God was faithful and merciful to him. Just as Job didn't understand what God was doing or why God was doing it, but even yet trusted and had patience. You and I need to trust that we don't have to understand all that God is doing. We don't have to know all the reasons. As Brittany says, we hold on to the fact that God never does anything without a purpose. And that purpose always fits into his plan. And so he doesn't need to explain that to us. We just have to trust and know. I think half the time, if God were to explain what he was doing, as we would look at our present circumstances, we'd be missing puzzle pieces to kind of put that together and make sense of it. And God is looking at things from an eternal perspective. He's looking at the grand scheme of what he's accomplishing. It would probably blow our minds if he shared that with us. But in the interim, we trust that everything has a purpose and that he's weaving all of that together into a master plan. Finally, in verse 12, James isn't referring to profanity, as some people think, but he's, he was talking about the rabbinical practice of oath-taking. Religious leaders of the first century, because they had so little rapport with the people, they developed a system of binding and non-binding oaths. And they would frequently reference the Lord's name because if they mentioned the Lord's name, it was a binding oath. And it was their way of saying, you need, you need to trust the credibility of what I'm saying because I'm throwing God's name into it. <laughs> and God kept on saying, leave me out of it. You know, you guys are horrible shepherds and you think that by citing my name, you, you've, you're believable and you're not. So leave me. Jesus said the same thing in, in the gospel of Matthew. He said, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your word should be so good that it should be the same thing as a signed document. All you have to do is speak the word in a handshake. You don't have to have any legal paperwork to go with. That's how trustworthy and credible you should be. Well, I want to draw some application as we kind of pull all of this together. It's obvious to us that that patience is a, ref, 
it's a refining process. None of us enjoys patience. I, I've stopped praying for it years ago because God usually, you know, brings things into my life to make me patient. And so I pray for things like joy and, you know, <laughs> happiness, fulfillment. I read this week that in smelting and forging, this process of making metals, the cooling process is as important as the heating process. Metallurgists have discovered that changes occur in the metal itself during the cool-down period. If the cool-down is too fast, it can cause microscopic cracks in the metal that will inevitably lead to fatigue and ultimately to disaster. In short, what they're telling us is that the waiting process is inescapable. And I think the same is true in our Christian life. God is every bit as interested in the process that he takes us through as he is in the end product that he's forming in us. Let me say that again. God is every bit as interested in the process that he takes you through as he is in the end goal. And so often you and I are just focused on the end goal, on the prize, on, on that desired outcome. And we want to skip over the process. We want to minimize the process. We want to get through that as fast as we can. We, we, we sing a song here in worship, and we're actually singing it after the sermon, that he's in the waiting. Take courage, my friend. Stay steadfast and strong. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. If you want to see the Lord, if you want to experience God in your life, don't skip over the waiting because you will find him more times than not in the midst of the waiting. As he draws you into dependence, as he reminds you that he's all you have, that other people fail us, they forsake us, but he's the only one who's trustworthy. He's the only one that's always there. Henry Nouwen once said, waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we listen for him, for whom we are waiting. I love that. Waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we listen for him for whom we are waiting. Have you ever like anxiously waited for something? It's like all of your senses just become alive as you just start dialing in and focusing on whatever it is that you're waiting for. And I believe that God uses that in our lives as we're waiting upon him either in prayer or whatever it is, we, we are so tuned into him for those times because we're, we're humans, we want something of him. But he often doesn't give us what we want or what he intends on giving us right away because he's more interested in that relationship than he is with the thing that we're waiting for. He's more interested in us talking to him and fellowshipping with him and communicating with him and placing things into his charge and his care and trusting him with things. Waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we listen for him for whom we are waiting. Eugene's paraphrase called the message translation of the Bible of Romans 8, 22 to 25 reinforces the same thing. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, 22 to 25. He says, Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. 
We are enlarged in the waiting. I love that. Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. I don't know what each of your situations is today, but I know that every single one of us faces challenges. And every single one of us needs to have patience in those challenges to see the Lord and to trust Him and to be able to see His faithfulness even in the midst of tough circumstances. And let's never forget that during these times of waiting, God is at work in, within us, accomplishing amazing things. Amazing things. Let's trust Him.